There have been several recent events that have made me ponder the topic of today's message. And the most recent and uh, impactful on me so far was the sudden passing of Pastor Eldon Krupp earlier this week. And then even this morning, we learned of Bonnie's brother Mike passing away. And today we're going to look at something that I've never preached on before and honestly have never thought about a whole lot before. We're going to talk about a biblical view of death. It's an extremely exciting topic. Not really, but it's a very important topic. And it's something that all of us face many times in our life, and then one day we face it our own self. A biblical view of death. And the first question that that I had to struggle through as I thought about this was, should we avoid this topic? Should we avoid it? Because that's the easier thing to do. Because it's uncomfortable for us. And here's an example of how it can be uncomfortable. We come up with all sorts of other words because that word death is uncomfortable. So we say somebody passed on. They're no longer here. They're going to the other side. They're way beyond the blue. They're through the gates. They're going to a better place. They're over the river. We talk about those we've lost. And there's many other terms that we use, and every single one of these is a a fill-in for that one word that is uncomfortable, and that is death. However, it's something that we need to be aware of and focus on, and not in a morbid way, but because it is a part of our very existence. This is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and verses 1 and 2, and then verse 4. He said, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Verse 2, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. What's the reason? This is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Verse 4, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Solomon is saying here, he's not saying that the wise spend all their time in sadness. That's not what he's saying. But he says the wise person ponders the house of mourning, literally the fact that everybody will one day pass away. And they take it to heart. They ponder their ends and they take it to heart, and they live that way. The house of mirth just means somebody spends all their time enjoying this life without pondering what comes at the end. And the Bible says that is actually the heart of a fool that does that, but it's wise to ponder. It's wise to consider. We're all going to die. That's a phrase that you'll hear in my house every now and again, more, a little more tongue-in-cheek. But every little thing, every living thing, sorry, is guaranteed of one thing in life. It will die. That is what happens to all of not just humanity, all the animal world, all the plant world, every living thing will one day no longer be here. And Solomon recognized this as he wrote Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, a few chapters back in a very famous portion in Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 And two, he says, for everything there is a season, 
a time for every single matter under heaven. Everything there is a time for. The very first thing that he mentions as a time for in verse 2 is he says, a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time for death. And it happens to every single living thing. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in chapter 9, verse 27. He said, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. It is appointed for death to happen to every single person. If you look up that word appointed, it means reserved. Now, how many of you have made a reservation before? Okay. If you want to go out somewhere to eat and it's a busy restaurant, you call ahead of time and say, I want to make a reservation. So there's a slot for me. If you're going traveling and you want uh, to guarantee you have a place to sleep while you're on the road, then you call the hotel and you make a reservation. That means an, an appointment, a slotted time for something to happen. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is it's appointed for man to die. There's actually a reservation that we all have with death, but we don't know when it will happen. But it, we know that it will. Now, death is often a sorrowful topic. That is what makes it an awkward thing or a difficult thing to discuss or even sometimes to think about. Because it can be very sorrowful, that's based on, on several different things. It can be sorrowful based on somebody's personality. And I don't know a better way to put this than just it affects some people more than it affects others. It's also sorrowful based on relationship. How close were you to the, the person or the thing that has died? There's many things that die that are not sorrowful for us. You could probably name many of them. My kids are doing anatomy. They've started, that, uh, started their school year a bit early just looking at that one topic. And right now they're studying the human cell. So they're writing drawings of them and pictures and all the different parts of them. They were going over it with Pastor Herb, who obviously is a school teacher. So he was, you know, he knew all that stuff already. But they were telling him about all those things about the anatomy of the human cell. And we, I, I, we, we talked about that when Pastor Herb was there. We said, well, I wonder how many cells die in your body. Well, I don't know. So I, I looked it up just for this. And you've got an estimated 30 trillion cells in your body. And, and out of those, one of those kinds is your, your blood cells, red blood cells. And you lose an estimated 200 billion of those to death every single day in your body. Does that make you sad? Just in your red blood, 200 billion parts of you were dying every day. Now, like, meh, I'm still alive. What do I care about that? Because <laughs> you get about the same number that come alive, you know, at the same time. It's a, a cycle of life. Trees in the woods die all the time and they fall. Does that make you sad? What if it's a tree like, like uh, Bob and Kim Baldwin were telling me about that they put effort into and they raised this peach tree and it had a plentiful crop and then all of a sudden it would just, one year it didn't come back to life and it was dead. How about that? Maybe a little more. See its relationship, right? 
they had more effort, more involvement with that specific tree. There's an estimated about 164,000 people on earth who die every single day. Does that make you sad? Sorrowful? Well, a little more than a tree in the woods. But if you didn't know them personally or even know who they are, there's not that relational connection. So that's my point here. It's, it can be very sorrowful. The closer that someone or something is to you, the more it hurts. The more sorrowful that that is. Also, it can be based on a connection, even somebody that you didn't know at all, but you hear the story. You know, it happens to me if, if a child passes away suddenly or a mom and kids are in a car accident or something. There's a connection there because that story would be similar to my life. And so that can make me more sorrowful when I hear something about that, even though I don't know them at all. Most of us sitting here have been through the death of someone or something. We've experienced it. Some very recently, some, you know, in the past, some maybe way long ago when we were a child, but it has affected most of all of our lives. And it's, it's uncomfortable. It hurts when we walk through that. The Apostle Paul recounts a story in the Bible. There was a man named Epaphroditus, and he says about Epaphroditus that he was a good friend, a companion of his, and Epaphroditus almost died. He was right on, on his deathbed. And this is what Paul said about that in Philippians 2, verse 27. He said, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but God had mercy on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said, If this man had died, I would have had multiplied sorrows because I was close to him. It would have greatly affected my life. And yet in this case, God had mercy on Epaphroditus and raised him again from his deathbed. I remember many years ago, it was 2011, it was Thanksgiving weekend, and every Thanksgiving, the Brogan family would make a trip down to near Philadelphia, where my dad's mom, we called her Oma, lived. And I was working at my job up in Canada. I was working a half day that day. It was a Wednesday, getting ready to travel to the U.S. on Wednesday afternoon to be with Oma for Thanksgiving. She was 90 years old. I got a call from my mom at work that Wednesday morning, and my mom said, Oma just passed away. I haven't thought about that in years, because sometimes time comforts. But that was shocking to me. That very evening, I would have seen my Oma, but I didn't get to see her that last time because she passed away that morning. I remember a few years ago, totally different, but still having an effect, our, our little dog, Taya, died. And for weeks, that was sorrowful because we had that closeness. She was a dog, not a person, but we had that closeness, and it was a sorrowful thing. So the, probably the first thing that our kids walked through with something dying, and we got to walk through it with them. So it's usually a very sad time. So that's the, the first point. Death is sorrowful based on those things. And mourning is normal. This is, is an, an important point. Mourning after death is very normal. If you look up the word mourn or mourned or mourning, which I did, I only stopped in the book of Genesis because there was a lot of occurrences 
that I would have had to go through in looking up scriptures that talk about this word, mourn or mourned or mourning. There's several times that it is found in Genesis, and every single time it has to do with somebody dying. For instance, Abraham, it says he mourned for Sarah. Jacob mourned when he thought that his son Joseph had been killed. He found out many years later that it was false, but he went through mourning. Joseph mourned when Jacob passed away. And there's many other instances in Genesis as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, Solomon said, further on in this famous passage, he said, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a set time for mourning, and it's okay for that to happen. The Bible refers to this time as a time of mourning or the days of mourning. You'll find that phrase many times in the Bible. It talks about the days of mourning. I looked this up really quickly, and even in modern cultures, this still carries on in different ways in different cultures. They have a period that's recognized for for people to have a time of grief. China was the one that stood out the most. Um, And I didn't look at all of them, but they have a hundred days that they set aside and specific things that people do. And really the point is so others can recognize and acknowledge and kind of give space or allowance that this person's going through grief, through mourning, and and, and they they can recognize that. There's a God-appointed time for people to mourn when a loved one dies, and that is a very normal thing. Now, I don't know about the set number of days that some countries do. For everybody, it's going to be very different for how long that time is necessary, and that depends on a few things, I think, on personality, again, on how close they were to the one who died. It can be based on the circumstances of death. If it was long and drawn out and they had a long time to say goodbye, or if it was instant and the person was, was especially younger, it can be a lot longer of a mourning time afterwards. It can also depend on how God speaks. If you've been here for long enough, you will remember many, many years ago when Pastor Bailey's wife died and God told him, take off your garments of mourning and put on your garments of joy. That was a specific word that God spoke to Pastor Bailey that his mourning was done and he was, was carrying on. There's a, a, a passage in the Bible about the prophet Ezekiel. And God told Ezekiel, your wife is going to die and you shall not mourn for her at all. These instances, though, are not the normal. They are a specific word of God in a situation that said, this is your set time of mourning, you're done. Or even not mourn at all. But it is very normal for people to go through that period of mourning. And it's even okay for people to mourn. And for those of us who maybe aren't walking that closely through it, we need to to be careful. We need to recognize that somebody's walking through that. And to be careful to think or even to talk about or say, well, they just need to get over it. That's something that we really shouldn't be telling others, you know, unless it's a specific word from the Lord. But again, we'd want to be very careful of that. We need to be mindful of those who've lost loved ones and show compassion. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep 
with those who weep. And when someone's going through that hard time and they've lost a loved one, we join with them in their weeping or in their mourning. We listen to them, we empathize with them, and it's not our job to heal their grief. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's the one. You know, it's, it's the Lord's job to heal, but God can use us as a very real person to empathize or to be there as a comfort to walk alongside somebody. And for all of us who have lost somebody, know that God is compassionate and God understands the grief. God watched his own son die for us. He understands grief and pain and sorrow. And I was thinking of Jesus as well. We, we don't know for sure, but Jesus' father, earthly father, Joseph, is no longer on the scene somewhere before Jesus' ministry. He had his own earthly dad die while he was here on earth. There's also the, a passage, the shortest verse in the Bible, where it says Jesus wept, is in reference to when his good friend Lazarus died. He knew what it was. Jesus knew what it was to suffer the loss of people that he loved. And he understands that for us as well. On the flip side, when Jesus was beginning his ministry at the very early stages, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, there's a passage there. We're not going to read the passage, but he's, re he's, he's in their temple. It's a Sabbath day. And they hand him the, the scriptures to read. And he turns to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and he reads that passage there. And then he says, now this is fulfilled in your hearing. I am coming to fulfill these things. And one of the things he said he came to fulfill in that passage, it says he binds up or he heals the brokenhearted. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He understands grief and mourning, and he walks with us during those times. But he also says, I am here to heal your broken heart. It doesn't have to stay broken. I will walk with you as you walk through this. So mourning is a very important thing for us as humans. Another thing on the topic, the topic of looking biblically at death is hope. Hope is a big part of what the Bible talks about when it talks about considering um, those who have died. The thought of death, as we said, brings mourning or sadness because of loved ones that we miss, but the Bible encourages us to focus on being together again one day. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
Now, this passage is often used to discuss how things will happen at the end of days, which is fine. There's some points that you can gather and talk about this when looking at this and the, the summary of all scripture. I've done it as a Bible teacher in different classes. But Paul's whole point in this passage is found at the beginning and at the end, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Recognize, as he said towards the end, that we will always be with the Lord and comfort and encourage one another with these words. It's the hope of being together again one day. That's what Paul's telling the Thessalonians. They were going through persecution. They were losing loved ones, literally, who were being murdered for the cause of Christ. And Paul says, you will be together again one day. You can take hope in that, that you will again see each other one day. That's the whole point of this passage. I want to add a side note here, because our mind would obviously go to, well, what about ones that we aren't sure are going to be in heaven or with the Lord? We, we jump to that, right? And that's a difficult thing. It really is. But God is the final judge. You can mark down 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. We're not going to read it. But in reality, it is God that decides somebody's eternity. We as humans don't decide somebody's eternal place. That is up to the Lord. And we don't sit on his judgment seat. He does. And I think it's important that we never underestimate God's ability to speak to somebody on their deathbed. They may not even be able to move. They may not even be able to open their eyes or to acknowledge anything. But God can be speaking to their hearts. That's not to say that everybody on their deathbed turns to the Lord. But that's to say we don't know and we should not underestimate our Lord. Sometimes God gives long, drawn-out, deathbed-type experiences, even if somebody seems unresponsive, so that there's every last opportunity, I think, for that person to turn to the Lord, even in their, in their inner being, and in their conscience, as they lay there before they go. So that's a side note, that don't underestimate God and leave the final judgment in his hands of everybody's eternity. Now, as we talk about this subject, a biblical view of death, I want to turn it to us here as we go into the end. Because as I said at the beginning, it happens to everything living. For some of us sitting here who are quite a bit younger, it may feel like a very long time away. I remember thinking that when I was younger, and I've now made it through approximately half of a normal lifespan. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody, though. Some do pass away young. Some live a very long time. But one thing is guaranteed. Everybody will go into eternity. That should be a sober thought, but it should change the way that we live. The Bible says life, in reality, is very short. I call it the brevity of life. It may feel very long to us, especially when we're young. If you talk to anybody older, they're like, oh, time is going so fast. If you talk to any child, they're like, how long do I have to wait for that? A week? That's forever. That's just a difference of perspective and time. A couple of years ago, I go to the post office for my job. I used to do it every day, now, you know, most every day or three days a week anyways. But so I, I see a lot of the people who work at the post office. 
get to say hi to them, have very short conversations as I'm in the window paying for things or picking up mail. A couple of years ago, there was a lady who worked there. I honestly cannot remember her name, although we talked many times. But one Monday, she wasn't there. And so I asked the other lady who was there, I said, well, what happened to, uh, or where is, you know, this lady? And she said, oh, she passed away over the weekend. She was in her 40s, maybe early 50s, and just all of a sudden had some heart pain and was gone, just like that. She was no longer there. A couple of weeks ago, as far as I understand or know, Pastor Eldon Krupp didn't know that he'd be with the Lord right now. And then he's gone, just like that. Life is very short, and we don't know when our reservation is. We just know we have one with death. And we need to live in such a way that we're always ready. We shouldn't be putting things off and making things right. We need to live as if now is our time. Psalms chapter 103, verses 15 and 16, the psalmist recognized this. He says, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and we die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. I think I shared this story before when I was in Ghana, and Pastor Jason may remember this when he was there too. During a certain season, there was these white flowers that would come up very beautiful in our yard in the morning. And then you'd look out over that yard around noontime, and there was nothing there. I even walked out one time to try to look to find where they had been, and I couldn't even find the re residue or the remnants of them. Because in the heat of the day, they were gone. They just wilted away to nothing. And then the next morning, during that whatever season it was, for that, I forget, couple weeks they would be there, the next morning there'd be more out in the yard. And then around noontime, it was hot, they were gone. And that spoke to me. That's a perfect illustration of this verse. Because it says, like wildflowers, we bloom and we die. Some, really short. That same day, you see them, they're gone. Some wildflowers last weeks or Maybe a month or a little more, I don't know. Maybe a couple months, I have no idea. I don't know that much about flowers. But they don't last that long. And they all pass away. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And then in a different psalm, in Psalms chapter 90 and verse 12, but talking about the same thought about living life, you know, prepared for going into eternity. In Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Help us to live every moment, recognize every day, and live in wisdom so that we're, we're always prepared. We're always ready. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he said, Our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them, and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We all have present troubles. We all have present sorrows or difficulties and things we walk through. And the Apostle Paul was saying, we don't fix, this is not our main focus here on earth. Our main focus 
in our difficulties here in life is that we are preparing for eternity one day. Whenever that day is, we are living now for then. That is our real life. He said this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, talking about preparing and living you know, the real point of our life here on earth. Colossians 1, or 3, sorry, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, your true life, the real reason you are alive is hidden with Christ in God. You can't see it now, but your real life that you're living is for Christ and preparing to be with him for all of eternity. So think about the realities of heaven. How many of you have heard a phrase, somebody is so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase before? All right, I've got a few hands here. So heavenly minded that you are no earthly good, or they are no earthly good. I've never heard somebody say that to somebody. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But we say it as a general phrase. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have met somebody who is so heavenly minded that they're no good here on earth? Nobody. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have met somebody who is so earthly-minded that they are no heavenly good? That is our true human problem. I don't know who made up the other phrase. But people, we, and especially in our culture of stuff and busyness, we become so earthly-minded that we forget that we are here for another purpose. We are here to prepare for there, for eternity. We need to be so heavenly minded and it will not make us no earthly good. It will make us do God's good work here on earth as well as we prepare for eternity. So as we draw this to conclusion, to closing, I have two different thoughts that I want to end with. And the first one is our own life. My life, your life. Maybe, as I said, you're sitting here and you're young and you think death is a long way off. Maybe you're sitting here and you're older and you recognize that you've, you're probably closer to the end than you are to the beginning. Mathematics would say that that pretty much has to be the case unless you live a very, very long time. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you sit right in the middle of a normal life. This message, though, is for everybody at every single stage of life. No matter what age you are sitting here, recognize that we all have that reservation with death. And we don't know when it is. It will happen. It will come in our life. That's not a sorrowful thing or a sad thing for us. It just should change how we live. It should make us live with purpose, even when we are young. Think about how the life you are living right now is preparing you for eternity. Would you be proud or ashamed to stand before God, not one day, 
to stand before God if it was right now and explain to him how you're living right now? Would you be ashamed or would you be happy to tell God the things that you've been up to? My friends, if you're sitting here and you say, well, there's things that I think I would stand before God and I'd be ashamed about if I had to tell him about my life right now, now's the time to change what you're up to. Now's the time to change, maybe it's not something you're up to physically, but you see attitudes in yourself or anger or selfishness or all these other, other areas that we can struggle with. If you sit here and say, I would be ashamed to have to talk to God about that if I was to meet him right now, don't let it go. That's the first point. And we'll pause right now on that point before we go to the next one. And we'll go to the Lord with that. Take that to him. If something comes to mind and you're like, I wouldn't want to have to meet God right now. I'd rather have more time to make this right. Talk to him about that. Ask his forgiveness for it. Ask him to help you overcome whatever it is. Amen? So take a moment. I have that conversation with my children all the time as we walk through things that, you know, we're training them and doing what is right before the Lord. We have this conversation that says, you know, Jesus came and died for you. For one, one thing is to forgive you. You can be forgiven. That's one thing. The other thing is he came to help you to be different too. He came to help you to be more like him. And so I have that same conversation with all of us here today. If there's something that you're ashamed about, you wouldn't want to have to tell God about, understand Jesus came so you could be forgiven of whatever it is. And he came to help you. And he came to help me. The second thing I want to close with is our relationships with other people. You never know when will be your last time to talk to somebody. It's been not a good week, but Sarah and I have just recounted some of the connections that we've had with Pastor Eldon and Lois Krupp and recounted the last time we had them down at our house in, in, I think it was late 2019, Christmas of 2019. We had them around our table with some other friends and just had some time with them, singing Christmas carols. So we're recounting these times with them. We didn't know that that would be our last time that we saw him. I've emailed back and forth with him for work since then, but that was our last kind of personal connection that we had with them. You don't know when will be your last day with somebody. And the, the walk away from that for us is keep short accounts with people. Don't live your life in such a way that if somebody passes away, when they're gone, you go, I wish that. I wish that I had said this. I wished that I had apologized for that. I wish that we had worked through this problem to resolve it. It's always better to take care of it. Because again, you don't know when that last day will be. So keep short accounts is my encouragement on that. And if something came to mind for you, I don't know that we need, you know, it, we can go to the Lord in prayer for it, but in reality, that's something to, to physically take care of. If something comes to mind, you're like, there's this person I've got this problem with, or there's this, this relationship issue, and I want to see it resolved. 
and I can do something to make that happen, then do it. Pray to the Lord about it. Say, Lord, how do I do this? When do I do this? What's the best way? Help me, but keep a short account and take care of it so that later on you're not going, boy, I wish, I wish, I wish. Some of us here, maybe we're walking on the other side of that where we're looking backwards at a relationship that is no longer because somebody's not here anymore and we have that. We have some of those I wishes. That's a hard thing. Take that to the Lord. Say, Lord, you know that I would like to have resolved this, and I can't now. They're not here anymore. Lord, would you, whatever it is, would you forgive me? Would you help me to, to, to not carry a grudge? Would you change my heart? Whatever needs to happen, even if that person is not here anymore, make it right. Don't carry that on. Amen. Why don't we ask the Lord to help us to do that? Amen. As we go to close and help us to live every day, preparing to be with him one day. Lord, we come to you. you. You know that we are humans. You made us. You know our frailties and our weaknesses. You know, many of the times when we struggle with things here on earth, it's with relationships. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep short accounts with the people that we know, people around us. Help us not to carry grudges or hurts. Help us not to leave things unresolved if we can help to resolve them. Help us not to live such that one day we would say, oh, I wish I'd made that right. I wished I'd fixed that. I wished I'd said this. And Lord, for those, Lord, who may be on the other side of it and the person's no longer here, we take these ones to you as well, Lord, and we ask that you would Help each heart to resolve that now. Help each heart to, to give that to you. Father, help us to live each day here on earth as if we would, or in a way that we would not be ashamed to tell you about our day, but in a way that would honor you with how we're living our life. Help us to recognize that we are preparing here for our eternity our real life is hidden with you. Our real purpose of our life is to prepare to be with you in heaven. Help us to live that way. I pray this in your name. Amen.